Good morning, everyone. It is a joy to be with you today. Thank you all for being here, and a special welcome uh, to anyone with us for the first time today. Um, as Jimmy said, we, uh, we take this book seriously, and we do that because it is God's Word. Um, so you'll see, uh, you know, it's in our name, Pretoria West Bible Church. We want to be a church that is centered on God's Word, that does everything it does according to what God says a church should be like, how a church should be run, what a church should do, what a church should value. Um, And part of that is actually teaching God's Word. Teaching God's Word. And primarily, our approach here is to go consecutively, passage by passage, through a book of the Bible, so that we see the flow of the argument in the book, so that we don't uh, just pick and choose things that are interesting to us, but rather that we see everything that God is communicating through that book, uh, even passages that perhaps seem a little bit obscure or a little bit harder to understand. And we've been working our way through the book of Philippians last week. We looked at Philippians 3, verses 1 through 9. And we saw Paul sound a very emphatic warning to the Philippians about a group of false teachers called Judaizers. These false teachers would insist that non-Jewish people needed to follow Old Testament laws, especially getting circumcised, in order to be accepted by God and to become a Christian. And Paul calls this out as a false gospel, something that promises salvation, but does not actually save. What saves us, the true gospel, is placing our faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Placing our faith in Jesus as the one who fulfilled all God's righteous requirements in his life on earth and who died as a sinless sacrifice to pay the price, pay the penalty we deserve for our sin. That's the true gospel. Our background or family or social standing, our morality, considering ourselves a good person, Other people considering us a good person. None of this matters in the eyes of God. Putting confidence in these things we saw last week, or anything else like them, anything else to do with us, our worldly position, our worldly accomplishments, Paul refers to that as absolute rubbish. Or a more direct direct translation you might remember is, dung or feces. So it's not just that presenting these things to God is worthless, but it's actually disgusting in his eyes. God's true people, according to Philippians 3 verse 3, are those who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
God's true people are those who realize they have absolutely nothing of themselves to offer God. And they are those who boast in Jesus, who boldly say to God, my confidence is Jesus and what he's done for me. His death on the cross, Jesus and Jesus alone. So in chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul talks about his own life situation. He says, okay, these Judaizers are coming and they're trying to convince you that there's certain things you need to do in order to be right with God. And Paul says, let me tell you about my life. Let me, let me give you a list of the things that I used to be confident about, the things that I used to think would impress God, uh, that would earn God's favor, the things that made me well-respected in Jewish society. He'd been a very moral and strictly religious Jew. He'd been zealous. Remember, he used to persecute Christians. He was that passionate for what he believed to be the truth. But he tells us in verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 7 and following, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not a righteousness that comes from me doing good things, from me doing religious rituals, from me observing certain rules. No, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And that brings us to our passage today as Paul continues to unpack and explain reasons, a few more reasons why he chose to count everything he previously had in his favor as loss. Why he chose to turn away from his previous life and turn his life completely upside down. Why he chose to suffer all to gain Christ. Reading from chapter 3, verse 10, he continues, he says, uh, That I may know him, that's Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, anything, if, in, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Okay, so we see here Paul's pursuit in life. 
Paul's pursuit in life. Firstly, it was to know Christ more. To know Christ more. Now, obviously, Paul already knew Christ. He's already a Christian and living his life passionately for Jesus. But he longs to know him more deeply, more fully, to walk with him more closely. Some of you may not be feeling very motivated to live for Christ. Some of you may find yourself discouraged at the lack of passion you have for him. But I want to encourage you to seek to know him more. To seek to learn more about Jesus. Because what we see here from Paul is that the more you learn about him, the more you'll want to learn about him. The more you know him, the closer you will want to walk with him. The more you'll want to live for him, the more you will love him. Paul's passion is to know Christ more. Next we see that he has a pursuit of knowing experientially the power of Jesus' resurrection. And that is the power for Christian living and change. Now what power are we talking about here? Well, in Ephesians 1, Paul prays a prayer for the Ephesian Christians. And that prayer, in that prayer, he doesn't just pray that they will grow in godliness, but he prays that they will understand what Paul calls the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of God's power at work in us. And this power, Paul says, is the same power that God worked in Jesus when He raised Him from the grave, when He raised Him from the dead. This is the same power that brings the dead to life. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Knowing the power that was behind Jesus' resurrection. The power that brings the dead to life. The power that Paul says is the same power that helps Christians live the Christian life. It helps us turn away from sin. It helps us grow in love. That helps us suffer well and choose to make sacrifices. And that helps us continue to believe and have faith and to trust God even in the midst of great trials. The same power that gives us the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit as He works in us, self-control, patience, gentleness, kindness, etc. Paul's pursuit here then is to live the Christian life faithfully and to grow in Christ-likeness. Next, we see that he has a pursuit to partner with Jesus in the suffering of his mission and become like him in his death. The word share in verse 10 It talks about sharing in Jesus' suffering. It's the same word we've seen earlier in this book of of fellowship. You may remember that we we, uh, explained fellowship as being a, a close partnership towards a shared goal with others. Something like running a business together with somebody. Or... Uh, fighting together in, in the same, in the same uh, war alongside another soldier. 
So when Paul says here then, that he wants to share or have fellowship in Christ's sufferings, it means he wants to make sacrifices and endure suffering like Jesus did, for the reasons Jesus did, for fulfilling God's mission to save sinners. And we've seen this already in Philippians 2, right? Philippians 2, Paul presented Jesus to us as the ultimate example of how we should live. As someone willing to give up comforts and to make great sacrifices in order to obey God and serve others. And the highest peak, the highest peak of Jesus' faithfulness and obedience, of course, According to this passage, very clearly, he says he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, even the most shameful and painful and torturous of deaths. Now, it's important, hear me now, there is only one Jesus. And when I say I want to live like Jesus, I want to suffer like Jesus, I want to fulfill uh, partner with Jesus in his mission, it's very, very important to realize that there's only a certain extent to which we can do that. There is only one sinless God-man who can shoulder the sins of all and take the punishment they deserve. Jesus' death on the cross is utterly unique. But Paul says his aim is to have this mindset that Jesus had, to become like Jesus in his death, to be willing to suffer and sacrifice so much to serve others and glorify God. So it's interesting here, as Paul is seeking to know Christ, he's seeking to follow Christ, he's seeking to become like Christ. This knowledge of Christ is all-encompassing. To know, it's not just knowing about Him, it's walking with Him, it's following Him, it's joining in mission with Him and becoming like Him. And next we see, what's, what else is Paul pursuing in life? He wants to persevere to the end. That's what we see in verse 11. He says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And the language here might be a little bit confusing. Uh, it can sound a little bit at first like Paul is unsure of his salvation. Uh, or like he, he needs to do something to save himself. But that's not the case. What Paul is saying is that he wants to persevere in the Christian life. He wants to walk worthy of the gospel, and he wants to be faithful in doing so all the way to the end, no matter what life throws at him. And there's several places in the Bible where we're reminded of this sober reality. Yes, Jesus has paid it all. Yes, our salvation depends entirely on him. But we're also told that if we're going to finish running the race of the Christian life, we have to keep on running. If we are to win the fight, we have to fight. We have to persevere in trusting Christ and treasuring Him despite the trials that come our way 
and constantly again choosing to follow him over the lies and empty promises of this world. How is Paul progressing in these goals, these pursuits? Well, he tells us in verse 12a and verse 13a that he's still in progress, still still in process, right? As godly as Paul is, as exemplary as he is, as much as he amazes us in his love for Christ and in the joy he's able to have even in prison, as we see his complete and utter focus on living for Christ and advancing the gospel and helping others in their walk with the Lord, Paul still says, I haven't achieved these goals. I haven't obtained this. I'm not yet perfect. So as much as we look up to him as a model, an example, and a hero of the faith, Paul insists he's got room to grow. He's seeking to follow Christ and be like Christ. And though he's living a very godly life, there's still always room to grow when we're seeking to be like Christ. So because of that, then we see verse 12b, verse 13b, verse 14. He's pressing on further. He doesn't make excuses here, right? He doesn't just look at it and say, okay, yes, I'm not perfect, but, you know, nobody's like Jesus except Jesus, so let me just leave it at that. No, he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't think to himself, okay, well, I'm perhaps the most Christ-like person who's ever lived besides Christ, so I can check out and stop growing. He is committed to pressing on further. He doesn't look backwards and rest on previous accomplishments. He says he forgets what lies behind. He pushes himself to excel still more, to know Christ more deeply, to follow him more closely, to imitate him more fully. And what's Paul's motivation and encouragement in this? Verse 12c. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's his motivation. That's his encouragement. And I'm sure you'll notice there's a similarity with the memory verse we're doing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's the motivation? What's the encouragement? For or because God is at work in you. You're not on your own in sanctification. You're not on your own in living out the Christian life. I press on to make this goal my own, Paul says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The fact that God has worked and is at work does not mean we have no work to do. Right? Rather, it should encourage us and motivate us to obedience and perseverance even when it is difficult because we know God is at work in us and for us. What does Paul mean when he says God has, Christ Jesus has made me his own? 
Christ has died for his sins. He's paid for his sins. He's cleared the way for Paul to have access to God. In Paul's case, he actually had a very radical conversion. Some of you may remember uh, Paul's conversion uh, being uh, essentially knocked off his feet and temporarily made blind as Jesus actually appears to him and confronts him. And that's not true of all of us, but the Holy Spirit, anytime somebody is a Christian, the Holy Spirit has opened blind eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is, so that we believe. The Holy Spirit has given us a new heart, so that we love Christ and trust Him. We are not running this race on our own. We've been given what we need by God to succeed in what He has called us to. Further, I'm quite confident that when Paul is motivated here, he says, you know, because Christ has made me His own, he's also pointing to his amazement, his thankfulness of what Christ has done for him. What Christ initiated while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love he showed Paul, the grace he extended to him. Brothers and sisters, the grace he extends to us. It must amaze us. If it doesn't amaze us, we're not thinking clearly about it. We're not properly considering our sin and our unworthiness and the glory of God and how incredible it is that He would extend grace to us, that He would even do so at such a great cost to Himself. As Paul says elsewhere, the love of Christ compels us. And as John says, we love, right? We love because He first loved us. His love for us moves us. Paul's prize. What is Paul's prize in life? What is he, what's his treasure? What's he living for? Verse 14, he talks about the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God. In a sense, the call to become a Christian, to embrace Christ as Savior and to follow Him, even just that, that initial call all leads up to this ultimate call. The upward call to actually be with God forever, to be in His presence forever and ever. Paul's thinking here of eternity and of the purpose of life, of where this world is headed, where our lives are headed. Christians have a glorious eternity awaiting us. You've heard me say before, right? No more sin, no more sickness, no more sadness. And we will be with Jesus himself. We have a king well worthy of our service. How will we make the most of the time we have? How can we live our lives looking forward to the goal of hearing Jesus say, Well done, 
good and faithful servant. That's what Paul's looking to. The joy of not just being with Jesus, but the joy of fulfilling the mission Jesus has given him. The, the, the joy of bringing honor and glory to Jesus. Of a life well lived to the glory of God. And lastly, we see Paul's plea. Paul's plea. Prioritize this pursuit. We should prioritize this pursuit. We should. Um, Paul is not just describing his own pursuit, his own pursuits in life. He's calling us to follow him in these pursuits. And interestingly enough, we see also here that if we do that, it will unify us as Christians. He says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. Okay, so maybe you're not a mature Christian, but Paul's basically saying, but you should be. Right? If you want to be a mature Christian, this is how you should think. This is how you should view life. This is what you should be aiming for. This is what your life should be all about. He wants us to adopt his pursuits and his mindset to keep pressing on further. And he says here, right? If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now, what Paul's talking about here is um, there's actually, as we'll continue along in this book, we'll see that there's some conflict between some people in the church that needs to be resolved. And here and there, throughout the whole book, we see calls to unity and, and uh, reminders that, that we should not be in conflict with one another. Reminders of, of why we should not be in conflict with one another. Right? Because it distracts us from what God's actually called us to. Okay? And it takes away from God's glory and how he's, he's honored and the gospel's put on display in the unity of the church. And when we prioritize Paul's goals here, knowing Christ, following him, becoming like him, when we prioritize that, when we have that mindset, it unifies us because we can differ with each other then on some, less, on some lesser matters, but we realize that they are lesser matters. We aren't going to fight about silly things if we keep our focus on what is most important. God will work out those things so long as we all together are prioritizing this pursuit of the upward call of walking worthy, honoring Christ together. And then Paul calls us to persevere. Just as he needs to persevere, we need to persevere. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us hold true to what we have attained. We need to remember what we know about Jesus what we know about the true gospel. We may not uh, be in danger of, of Judaizers, but there are false teachers galore in the world we live in. False teachers galore. 
We need to remember the true biblical Jesus. We need to remember the true biblical saving gospel. And we need to stay faithful to it. We need to remember what the Christian life is all about. What we should be pursuing. Paul's calling us here to persevere. To be steadfast. To not stray off the path. And to not get stagnant either. Brothers and sisters, following Jesus is well worth it. Let's heed Paul's plea to pursue knowing Him, following Him, and becoming more and more like Him. Let's persevere to the end. Amen.